Well, it certainly is good to be back here at uh, Clover. Good to see progress being made with the new buildings and all that's going on. Pray that God will bless you abundantly as a congregation. This morning, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 6, as you see in the bulletin. Uh, Romans chapter 6, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1754. And we're really taking part of a much larger discussion that the Apostle Paul is actually writing to the Roman Christians. And it might seem strange to you at first, as we are dealing with Palm Sunday, to be dealing with the subject of resurrection. But I hope it will become clear uh, why I'm dealing with that subject. But we'll read then the first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6. Hear then the living and inspired, infallible word of God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought, who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. May God add his blessing to his word. Let's pray together and ask him for that. We thank you, our gracious Father, for the word that you have given to us, your own word. You, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, have come to us who are mere sinful creatures, and you have revealed yourself to us in your word. So we pray that as we spend this time together, uh, that you would be gracious and open it to us, you would bless not only the reading of what we have read, 
but also that you might bless its proclamation. You've said yourself, it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. So we ask of you to teach us then by your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and our minds to yourself, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I will begin with a question basically for the children first, although I know adults like to do this as well sometimes. But uh, as children, I think we have all uh, done those uh, connect the dots exercises, right? We've all connected the dots. We've looked for the numbers. And when we realized, oh, well, we missed a number, then we realize, oh, we've got to erase where we've been and we've got to start over and we've got to make sure that all of the dots are connected. Now, I, I give you that illustration uh, here this morning because the Apostle Paul is connecting dots. He's connecting the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ with the resurrection that Christians experience when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Thus, when I titled the message here uh, this week, The Necessity of a Twofold Resurrection, I did that on purpose because the Apostle Paul is wanting to stress in the life of the believer that the believer is to know and evidence a resurrected life. Rightly, we place so much emphasis on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We realize how important the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is. We confess every Sunday when we come to worship him that we are saying we are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. The first day of the week is when the disciples met for worship. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, when you come together on the first day, you collect the offering, you receive the offering. I, I ask you for the tithes and the offerings. So there is this precedent in Scripture that moves from the seventh day to the first day because it's a day of commemoration. It's a day of commemorating that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. But what is happening so often in Christian circles is, is that there is less emphasis placed upon this other resurrection, and that is the resurrection of those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ to a life that identifies them with the resurrection of Christ himself by living a resurrected life. So what I have done uh, most often throughout uh, the ministry is, is that I've had the typical Presbyterian three points. I hope you will excuse me here this morning as I simply want to go through the passage with you and make some points uh, that you will be able to grasp from the passage uh, in order, but not necessarily in three specific points uh, that you'll be able to, to follow in that way. I'm doing that on purpose because there is a theme that the Apostle Paul has 
And you'll notice at the very beginning of our text that the Apostle Paul is concerned about the disconnect that happens in Christian lives with the subject of professing faith in Christ and then living life as if nothing has taken place. Or to be able to say, I'm not under law, but I'm under grace. And so many people will say that. And what they often mean by saying, I'm no longer under the law, but I'm under grace, they are using that as an excuse to live as they wish to live. So when the preacher comes, when the Sunday school teacher comes, when mom or dad comes, or another godly person comes and puts a finger on someone's life, they say, what do you think you do? What do you think you're doing? You're meddling in my life. In other words, just push off. Leave me alone. But God in his mercy has given us his word to direct us, to lead us and guide us to a biblical understanding of what our Christian lives are to look like. Look at how the Apostle Paul addresses it right from the very beginning. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he's aghast. By no means. And he presses on. How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is what you see happening so often in the lives of those who are professing Christians. And the Apostle Paul directs your and my attention to this here this morning and says, holiness matters in the Christian life. Because a denial in our lives of the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows up in a denial of a holy life. And we make excuses for our sin. We make excuses by saying, once saved, always saved. But the Apostle Paul knows nothing of this. So he's coming to you and to me, and he's saying in verse uh, 4, we were... We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, some people have said, well, there's the Apostle Paul referring to baptism. But he's not referring to water baptism. The Apostle Paul says that if Jesus died and went into the grave and rose again, he's saying that believers have been baptized into the same death. And that Jesus rose from the grave and thus Christians rise from the grave of sin to live a holy life. And the tension that we have as Christians then is is that we experience in our own lives that we are still sinners, correct? We are still sinners. But the grand difference in the new birth is, is that we are no longer under the power of sin. We recognize what the Apostle Paul said in the next chapter, in Romans 7, Oh, wretched man that I am! 
I do the things I would not do and vice versa. We recognize how that the Apostle Paul or the Apostle John, when he wrote in this first letter, we recognize this whole thing about we sin and we have an advocate with the Father. But the great change that has occurred is, is that while we are here on the earth and we are truly regenerated Christians, resurrected Christians, we experience what it is to live in newness of life because Christ has given us life. So let us then not make the mistake that so many mistake, make the mistake by saying, I'm a Christian, I'm no longer under the law, I'm under grace, and thus it really doesn't matter. And so we then lead lives that are just kind of floating along and we're not genuinely paying attention to our words our thoughts, and our actions before God. You see, the Apostle Paul knew himself the struggle that every Christian has with sin. He knew as well that in the new birth there is this radical change, this transformational change that takes place in every Christian's life as a result of the new birth. So when in the bulletin I put that title in there, The Necessity of a Twofold Resurrection, I'm trying for us here this morning to tie in this unbelievable truth that you will celebrate, especially next Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is tied to your and my resurrection as Christians. You see, the Apostle Paul wrote that to the Corinthians. He said, if any man is in Christ, all things have become new. You're a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. It's not in perfection. The Bible's clear about that. Paul is even clear about that in this passage. John in his first epistle is clear about that there. It's clear throughout all of the scriptures that the tension in the Christian life is that we still struggle with sin, but the glory of our resurrected Savior lives in us, and we begin to live resurrected lives. Now, as ARP, we, of course, uh, hold very dearly to the Westminster Standards. But... Uh, there is another. There are other confessions out there uh, of which some of us are familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism. And the Heidelberg Catechism has a reference in there so tenderly saying that we have but a beginning obedience. But the point that we should get from this is that we have an obedience. We have a longing to live in newness of life because we have been given eternal life. So when the Apostle Paul asks the question in verse 1 and then answers it in verse 2, by no means we should understand why he's aghast at that type of sentiment. And you see it throughout Christendom. And maybe, just maybe, we see it in our own lives. 
Now, I know the first objection that's going to come from individuals are going to say, well, you're nothing but a legalist. Let's make sure that we understand the definition of legalism. Legalism is obedience or attempted obedience in order to gain the favor of God. It is, a, it is an obedience that is intended to be used as a reason why a person could get to heaven. But the Christian's obedience, the Christian's true obedience, is not legalism. Did not Jesus himself say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments? That's not legalism, dear ones. That's testifying that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave and I've risen in him. That's our testimony to a watching world. That's a testimony in our own families. And admittedly, we do it imperfectly. We often do it sinfully. But this is the aim which we are to have in our own lives. We are to walk in newness of life. But if you look further in the passage, the Apostle Paul says that we have been united. You see it there in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, the Apostle Paul says there is an absolute chain, there's an absolute link between the death of Jesus Christ and our own death. What is that link? The link is that Jesus died for sin and our resurrection is a death unto sin. So there is a fundamental change that takes place in the giving of the Spirit to those who've been born again. That we are united to Jesus Christ. We died with him. Now that's, that's an expression that's worth going after. What could the Apostle Paul mean by saying if we've been united in a death like his? Is that when Jesus died on the cross, we are right in saying that we died with him. Our names were written on his hands, so to speak. And so we died. And in time, he brought us to himself. And he made us new creatures in Jesus Christ. And so the apostle presses this whole line of thinking uh, as he's speaking to the Roman Christians, look at uh, as he follows it. We know that our old self was crucified with him. You see, there's that theme of death. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. See, there's this undisputed connection between the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the death of Christians to sin and the resurrection to holiness of life. 
The two cannot absolutely be separated. Now, the Apostle Paul is tying these two things together in order to point us to the direction in which we are to go in our lives. We need this kind of direction. The Apostle Paul, I'll get theological on you just for a little bit. The Apostle Paul, when you look in the original Greek, and you'll be able to, I'll just put Jonathan on the spot, what do you think? The Apostle Paul so often would give the indicative. He would say, this is the point that I am making, and he always follows it with the imperative. He would always follow it with a command. And you see him doing this here in our passage today. It is the indicative. Christ died. He rose again. Thus, watch this, verse 7, or verse 12, rather. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies. That let not is in the imperative mood. In other words, this is a command. Dear ones, our profession of faith in Jesus Christ is tied directly to the way that we live. It's not legalism. It's owning up to the truth that my conscience, that my heart, that my whole life has been changed by Jesus Christ, by faith in him and what he's done and accomplished on the cross. And so how we live is our profession of faith. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Another imperative. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. So you see, the apostle is bringing us to the very fact it's not only to the world that we are making our profession of faith, it's not only that we are owning in our own families that we belong to Jesus Christ, but the Apostle Paul is saying to you and to me that our lives give testimony to God himself. That we are in Jesus Christ. Sin is not to reign in our mortal bodies. As I said at the very beginning, what happens in our Christian lives, when we become true Christians, we recognize we are still sinners. We struggle with sin. We confess our sins. The grand difference is, is that we are no longer under its power. And we begin to live this resurrected life. 
So the dots that we are connecting or the dots that the Apostle Paul is connecting for you and for me is to recognize that our lives are a direct reflection of our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that the Apostle Paul said in a number of different places and in a number of different ways that we glory in the cross. We glory in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The implication for you and for me is that our lives are to be the resurrection story. We are the ones who are glorying in the cross as we live out our lives before God and before one another. We cannot, we must not separate these two things. This is what so often happens uh, in many Christian professions. And I would say that the result of what happens when people go down this road, not tying together these two things, is the one thing that must necessarily fall by the wayside is the assurance of faith. And in one sense, we have to say that you cannot lose your salvation. However, what God does when we think flippantly about sin and we are not living resurrected lives, we lose the assurance of our salvation and we begin to wander. We begin to wander and we begin to wonder whether we are Christians. And then Satan has a heyday and he comes to us and begins to tempt us and we then fall into temptation and sometimes submit to that temptation. I remember Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, some of you may know that name, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor before he was called to the ministry. And I remember one of his earlier sermons when he was speaking about Christian depression. He's, I've never forgotten it. He said that Christians have to preach the gospel to themselves. you got to speak to yourselves. So when we find ourselves in this sad position where the Apostle Paul, where God himself has to address us about living in sin and just excusing ourselves because we are in Jesus Christ, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to call ourselves to task. I'm a purchased possession of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why am I living this way? God, help me. Lord, help me. Forgive me. Draw me. Let me live unto you. Do not let me live to myself. We must always, always keep these two things in tension. And that is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we know that resurrection for ourselves, will result in a resurrected life. 
You see how he addresses it so tenderly at the end. But present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. That's what we're called to do, to present our instruments, to present our bodies even, for righteousness to God. I know we're going quite a ways forward, but if you even go to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, the apostle is still having the same theme on his mind. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So basically, all the way from chapter 6 to the very beginning of chapter 12, he's got so much of that theme on his mind. Why does the Apostle Paul spend so much time on it? Why is he so direct in your life and my life on this? It's a very simple answer. Because we need it. God says these things because we need it. And as we live here in this life, we need this instruction because we are still in this life. We are not those who have been glorified. Yes, the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesians, you've already been seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. We also need to understand in our Christian lives that this life is a struggle. To live the Christian life is in fact a struggle. And so when Jesus says to us, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest, He means every word of it. But what he does not mean is that we simply take our place in a lazy boy and kick the feet up and just lay there and just wait for glory. So the apostle, actually God himself, has on his heart and on his mind that we who profess the resurrection of Jesus Christ live resurrected lives. And this is why as we close here uh, this morning, we close with these words, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So I'm turning this whole thing on its head when people say I'm not under law, I'm under grace, I can live however I wish. And the Apostle Paul says, no, the opposite is true. Because you're under grace, you're to live resurrected lives. So dear ones, may God indeed give to each one of us to know even more about a resurrected life, to live a life that clearly identifies that we have been risen with Christ and our lives are a testimony that we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the glory of the cross. This is the glory of all we get to celebrate, even especially this Passion Week and the 
and, the, and Easter Sunday. I mean, it goes beyond that. It goes every, every Lord's Day. But let's meditate on these things. Live them out. And if perchance you're here this morning and you don't know this resurrected life, I call you. I call you to come to the very one who gives this life who's more than willing to give it. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Is any man thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. And you will experience what the Apostle Paul is telling us, what God himself is telling us here in our passage, that we may live resurrected lives. May God add his blessing Uh, to his word.